gloves, sizing charts, the gateway drug to road cycling, and stay tuned after the main interview to hear an update from Jeff about his experience on The Big Lonely. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. We are excited today to have Jamie Wallace with us. She is the co-founder or co-owner and everything person of Hand Up Gloves, which is a really fun, if you're not familiar with it, it's a really fun cycling brand because it's more than just gloves. So um, Jamie, I'm going to actually let you go ahead and uh, tell a little bit more about yourself. My husband and I got married and he's always been a business fiend. Like he just always wanted to start his own business. And so we had moved to Chattanooga. We were getting into cycling. He was getting into cyclocross. And we, we kind of just found this empty pocket in cycling where the, there was no gloves that either of us wanted to wear. And he grew up dirt bike racing. And so he was wearing his dirt bike gloves to um, mountain bike and cross and all these things. And so, you know, one day he's like, hey, I think we should take our tax return. And I think we should start a company. And I think we should make gloves because at that point in 2014, 2013, um, everyone was making kits. So everyone was making cycling kits. It was all custom. And so we just didn't want to follow that because um, Cody had a little bit of design skill and he had a friend that wanted to do kits. And we're like, it's just saturated. That's not what we want to do. Um, and we wanted to be different, but also like care about what the product we were making. So we decided to go with gloves because we were very passionate about it. And uh, we purchased gloves from Pakistan and they were terrible and somehow some way we sold all those gloves uh out of the back of our car at cyclocross races and um you know Cody did a really great job with like finding people on Instagram because Instagram was still kind of new and so hashtags were a thing and so we were able to like find these pockets of people that meant something in the cycling community in the southeast and we really were able to put gloves on them and like showcase them and like you know, toot their horn, even though they were small in the Southeast, but it just made our company look bigger. Um, and so we, for a long time, Cody and I kind of hid behind this image of the company. because we didn't want people to know it was just like a husband wife team selling gloves out of the back of their you know house. Um, so after we made, you know, a mistake of going with this company, this factory in Pakistan, we switched gears and we switched transition to overseas in uh, China. And really, we, we lucked out. Cody's so talented in finding these companies. But the company that makes our gloves used to make Fox and Troy Lee and all those companies back in the 80s. So, like, they knew how to make a good quality dirt bike glove. So we were able to tell them exactly what we want. We were piecing things together. I was making prototypes. I was sending them over to China. They were kind of making this, you know, Frankenstein glove for us. And it just worked out perfectly. Um, so fast forward a year and a half, we hired our first employee who was working up in our upstairs bedroom with, you know, boxes of gloves. And about a year later, I said, Cody, if, if we can't afford rent, we can't afford this company. Like we can't keep doing this. Um, so we moved out, found like our became a legit company in the sense of having rent to pay and, you know, phone services to pay. And, that year we were like, okay, 
we're making gloves because we, we know that that's what was missing out of the market at the time. What about clothing? Like, you know, Cody was wearing a specialized jersey and it ripped on the first day he wore it while he was mountain biking. He's like, I just spent $90 on this jersey and it's thrashed. I, I dislike that, you know, cycling can cause all this stuff, but at the same time, like you have to have it. So he wanted to make something that was available to anyone at any price point. So that's when we started making jerseys and making shorts and stuff that people could afford to ruin and thrash and be okay with, okay, I can buy another one. Um, so we kind of segue our attention into apparel and then me being one of the predominant females, obviously uh, right now the only female in our company, um, I was like, well, it has to be unisex. It has to be unisex. So like, I want to be able to put this on and it fit me. Um, and so the same thing with the gloves. We did unisex sizing all the way down, made sure the women can wear it. All our jerseys are sized the same way. Our shorts, women wear the shorts. I've worn the shorts. Um, it's just really preference. So yeah, that's kind of how it segued into a company. And then it just keeps weirdly growing somehow, some way. Um, no, we put a lot of effort into it, but uh, yeah, we just, it's been exciting so far. <laughs> I'm going to reiterate what you said about gloves because I'm a roadie and I've been, you know, I write a lot, a few times a week, every week. And the last pair of gloves I liked, I think, f fell apart in like 2006. And, and I have bought 10 pairs since then and hated every single one of them. I've tolerated is the best I've done. And like, it's funny, you mentioned like the, the specialized, I had, I bought these Castelli gloves because they were kind of designed like the last pair I liked. Um, they were like $80, second ride ripped apart. And I'm just like, are you kidding? 80 bucks and they ripped apart. So, you know, I hate I hate calling out a brand, but you sold me $80 gloves and they ripped apart on like the first thing. So, right, and you know, you know, and as a company, you hope that you reached out and said, hey, these are $80 and I they did. really should be warranty. You need to do that. I should have. So <laughs> you should have done that. But, yeah. you know, but like that's our whole uh, mentality is um, it should last at least a season you know, minimum, it needs to last a season. And our warranty is a year just because we, we stand behind what we make. Like we feel like we make a really good product and you know, stuff happens and things fall apart and it needs to be replaced and we do that. Um, but our warranties are super low. It's, it's below the 1%. So like it's, you know, it's nothing. So, uh, but at the same time, it's like, it's frustrating when you can't find the product that you want. And I think that's ultimately why we created the company that we did. So Jamie, one of the things I love about your gloves is obviously you come from a sun background. So like the performance is there, right? So, but they're fun. Like, and for those, for the listeners who are out there, like, I don't know if you can get the visual, but like when you put your hands together and like show the, the palms, like they all have like little fun sayings and they're like super creative and the backs of the gloves are super fun. So was that part of the idea from the beginning or is that something that kind of was part of metamorphosis of the company? No, that was like our, our like, um, you know, when we when we're like, okay, we're gonna make cycling gloves because like we wanted a louder design on the paw on the back of the hand because you know it was black, red, uh, vibrant yellow or green. You know, like those are your color choices for gloves. And if you're fancy, maybe got like some stripes. Um, so we're like, okay, well we can make gloves, but how are we gonna be different? And so that's when we were like, okay. Let's put something on the palms and when you put them together it says something and then that way it creates this community effect like that's one of our big things is you know you could be anywhere riding in the world and if somebody does this to you you know you have a hand up pair of gloves one and two 
you like already relate to somebody. It's like, oh, we both ride bikes, cool, but we both like hand up. And so we've kind of created this like cult, you know, hey, we've got hand ups and we do this together. Um, and it was crazy. Our, I was volunteering at a mountain bike race and it was maybe a year into us, you know, becoming a company. And we had just launched our um, second run of gloves. And this pro, pro athlete was racing and he was wearing our gloves. And I'm like, holy smokes, out of 300 riders, like that is our pair of gloves. And it was just like kind of humbling, but at the same time, so exciting to see like somebody believes in us. We are doing what we're, we should be doing. And so um, obviously the pros aren't throwing their hands up and probably shotgunning a beer on the trails. But for the people that are, we are there for you. We make a glove for you. Um, but we also make a performance glove that can handle endurance riding. You know, uh, Gordon Wadsworth is a phenomenal racer and he, he pounds the miles and he's like, I have gloves that you gave us from when you first started and they still work. Like I haven't worn them out. Um, so it's just exciting to see like a quality product still, you know, hitting the mark, but also being fun. Cause that's, that's our, bikes are fun. They should be fun. It's not all about serious. It's not about your weight gain or not, um, like the grams and all those things that you're, you know, trying to measure out and shaving your legs and shave off yeah yes there you go yeah. <laughs> all every every little ounce that you're trying to shave off weight loss not in like the personal sense but in the components and all the things yeah one nice thing that's kind of nice from your story and, and we can talk about is like sort of the the, the good power of social media because obviously it gets trashed and it deserves everything it get trashed gets trashed for because there's it's a sewer in a lot of ways but there are oh, nice yeah. things and elements to it where someone like you can compete with specialized and Constelli, and you can get the word out and you can you can get your product out there i buy stuff i see on instagram and facebook all the time and it's like People with smarter mousetrap, better mousetrap, people that maybe care more than the bigger companies, you know, and that's great. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and how you've used social media and how it's helped you? Yeah. Um, you know, for, like I said, when we first started, we didn't have any money whatsoever. Um, so Cody would Photoshop our gloves on famous people and like they've archived all of these on our Instagram and I almost feel like we need to do like a flashback Friday of like where we started. Um, but we hired, um, our first employee was a marketer. Um, we met him at a bike shop when he was in college, hired him out of college, and him and Cody have really been able to be dynamic and, you know, add me in there, but we've all been able to be dynamic and like, how do we want to be sold on items, you know? So it's not just this, you know, we throw ads at you and they mean nothing. It's, you know, we've, we've built our Instagram. And I think that's really how we've grown as a company is really Instagram and using quality photos, using photos from people sending them to us. So they felt part of the community. So they kept sending us to us. So they kept engaging with us. And like, you know, with Instagram, it's all algorithms. So if you have people engaging in what you're doing, you're, you're getting bumped. Right. And so like, that's, what's been nice is we've, we've created this community that people care about. And so they're paying attention to what we're posting. So we're not just posting fluff and we're, you know, Sometimes we get called out for being a bro company, one female, not a bro company, but two, like we've never done any scandalous photo ever of a woman. And like, and that's just like, been my mom, like my one number one thing will never be that company. We're not going to do it. It may make us a mil you know, millions and millions of dollars. Look, look at Fit Viper, but we're not going to do it. You know, it's just not us. So, um, so we've really used a platform as a way for people to feel part of a company. Uh, and I think that's what helped us grow. And, you know, a couple of years ago, hashtags didn't started not mean anything, but before that, like that's really how we were able to find people. And, you know, 
when we first started as well, we would, as soon as we got an order, cause we were making like, you know, an order a day at sometimes we'd go find them on Instagram, follow them and like tag them and stuff or like, you know, follow them and like make them feel like we were paying attention to them. And we still do that. So it's just one of those, we wanted people to know that we were um, kind of grassroots, that we were caring and wanted you to know that we had your back, that we are a community, um, that you'd, you'd see us on the trails and want to hang out afterwards. Um, we just didn't want to create this cold relationship where you buy something and it ends there. So that's luckily how we've been able to grow up through Instagram. Uh, this is certainly the first time for our podcast. Might be the first time ever. I'm actually going to buy a pair of your gloves right now because <laughs> mine are in tatters. Cause again, I hate them all. And I, I've looked, I literally for the last three months have been looking for a new pair and I don't like it. I haven't seen anything I liked. So and I'm, you're in I California, your, right? I'm in California. I have your website up. So I'm going to like, uh, most I would recommend the summer light, summer light. Okay. Yeah, because it's hot, and that way they're breathable. I like full finger when I ride road, just because I like the protection. Okay. Um, But they're very ventilated, so if you feel like you're going to get hot. Yeah, I probably would go. I have – I actually, the one pair of gloves I do like cycling are my long finger ones, so I'm looking for short finger. Um, Let's see. Um, I do need a good like. Terry I'm totally cloth. laughing because I yeah. was I was looking on the website yeah. too as you're as you're talking and I'm like and I'm like I want to get I'm like there's too many cute options like there's too <laughs> many fun that, like yeah there's there's um, too many options I can't it's def- I'm not gonna be able to choose in this while we're on the <laughs> while we're trying to focus on the interview definitely not gonna happen yeah all right um, yeah so well we started with the most so glove. And essentially that, that glove is just, it's our bread and butter, but it's the glove that like, it's good in the wintertime. It's good in the, you know, summertime. It's good all the time. But, um, we were like, our next glove was the cold weather glove. And so, uh, that was one, like, we wanted you to still feel like you're holding onto the handlebars. And so that's why we created that glove. Cause most of the time you have these huge mitts that, you know, you're holding a bar like this cause you can't curl your fingers around. So like, that's why we created that, um, the one that, uh, the, the winter glove. And then the summer glove is probably my favorite just cause it is ventilated and I was riding a lot of road and that way you get the breeze through it, but then they still hold up to mountain biking. So you can hit a tree and you're, you know, typically not ripping a pair of gloves. So yeah. Je- Jeff hits trees. Um, <laughs> I, hit, I hit trees whenever I ride. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of my, my, yeah, that's my Jeff, thing. Jeff's that's, my <laughs> that's how I roll. Um, yeah. That's your um, I got, I got a question. This is going to sound super basic because <laughs> I'm not really as, you know, like Jason, you know, he bikes all the time and I'm, I'm just kind of a newbie. What's a, what's a kit? You mentioned this in your intro, yeah, <laughs> like everybody's so doing kits. Everyone was doing kits. You know, it's the, the road cycling, tight fitting, um, top or, and then the bibs, you know? So at that time, everyone was making custom bibs, you know, you've got, you've got some great companies that still do it. Um, but it just wasn't our, not where we wanted to go. That was a big thing with like cycling clubs. Like every club had their yes. own like custom kits and like every year they would do a new design for a new kit. So you could spend another $200 on the new kit. Cause the last year's yes. kit was the old kit. Yeah. 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 Um, $200 every time. Know. Yep. Try clubs, all the things. Yeah. I am liking the shorties black and white prism is kind oh, of, yeah. that's kind <laughs> that's- of where I'm looking here. <laughs> Now, That's my design. Jason's like full in. He's, I know, Jason's I like, know. I'm shopping. Don't I'm mind shopping. me. I'm <laughs> shopping. This is, this is, you know, well, I'm multitasking. So Jamie, um, you now I'm smart and I knew that, you know, I knew I was going to do this. So I'm at your sizing chart and I'm very, right now going to make sure. Nice. Yeah. As a big guy, I trust me. See I know the right sizing there? chart is important. Yeah. That line. All right. So we're here. Okay. 
All right, so we're... <laughs> People forget that line all the yeah. time. So we're a little under nine. A little under nine. Okay, okay. And then and then the, this this is the A, and about four. So like four, and then a little... as much about that one. Okay. The length is probably more important. The is... it, they're going to stretch. It has a four-way stretch. So I'm 2XL, it looks like, based on your sizing chart. Okay. All right, these are going in the cart right now. Add to cart. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep looking while we're talking, yes. and I might buy something else. We'll see. I mean, maybe I'll buy more from you down the road too, for sure. But but I. I mean, uh, and I. So, also the Hawaiians are kind of like also our other thing. So, uh, we're kind of the first company to be like, hey, why does athletic gear all have to be look the same? And so we created Hawaiians that are um, athletic based, and so they're breathable and you know don't weigh down when you get sweaty so yes we have fun uh let's see Ooh, so you do have totally shorts so on. jamie question for you so you said it started off with just you and your husband uh how many how many people are in the company currently nine wow Whoa. that's great nice. yeah. yeah and you're still the only woman on the team yes. currently <laughs> <laughs> Actually, technically not. We we hired my sister in law, so she ships. <laughs> so. Awesome, perfect, love it. Family affair. That, that I bet that was kind of scary going from you know like just working out of your home to like getting an office and, or some space that you had to pay rent on, and and then you know like okay, we have to bring in some money to be able to you know pay for this, and then you hire your first employee and your second, and so on. Um, how did you manage that transition? Well, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, so I was, I went to college to become a speech pathologist. And so that's what actually brought us to the Southeast is I went to grad school in Alabama. We moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee for me to finish up my career, uh, education and career. And so I was a speech pathologist and I just quit my job in 2019 to help the company grow. Cause we're like, all right, we have to, we have to be here every day and start focusing on how to build this company. Um, and then Cody actually quit his job last May. And so we worked full time. So we didn't take any money from the company for what, five, six years. Um, because we just kept putting it back. We didn't want any investors. We didn't want someone to tell us, well, you can't make that cause no one's going to buy it. Or you can't do this cause you know, that's too expensive or whatever. We didn't want anyone telling us how to run our own company or what kind of products we had to make or not make. And, um, so luckily we've been able to do that and work full time and do this at nights and do this on the weekends and, you know, all the stuff that running a business entails. And then now that Cody and I are both full time, um, it's just been able to grow bigger. So, uh, when I came on full time, we had three employees and so now we're at nine. So it's just, it, the last two years has been a whirlwind with both Cody and I quitting. Wow. Good for you. With COVID and everyone getting outdoors and like cycling and like this, has that helped your business? Have you seen like an increase in sales, which is sort of the outdoor community growing and people spending more time? For sure. The first two months when COVID hit and when everyone was on lockdown and no one was allowed outside and trails and yada, yada, it was scary. Um, it was luckily we, uh, we run a very tight ship anyway, cause we, you know, this is our livelihoods at this point, but it was just, we, we have to make sure we take care of our employees. And so we, we want to always make sure we're, we're not, you know, going to have to fire someone or let somebody go or anything like that. And so with when COVID hit, it was kind of scary and it was touch and go. And then 
once we kind of got out of that and everyone's like, well, it's safe to go outside. Everyone should be outside. It just whoosh, went crazy. <laughs> Luckily, and then the lucky thing was Cody and I were actually in China when COVID hit, touring the factories. Yes. And so I got sick, had to get out of there. Um, luckily, we got out okay. But um, so we came back to the States knowing that this was happening, but we had ordered all of our spring stuff in November. And so it was on its way in January before it hit the States. And so we had all of our spring stuff almost into summer in stock. And that was that kind of hit a lot of the smaller brands poorly just because they didn't have anything in stock and they couldn't get anything because China had shut down. And so that kind of helped us even unfortunately for them, but you know, it kind of helped us kind of push over that ledge because no one had anything, but we did. So I found the second, I am actually going to, going to get some long sleeve ones too. Um, I like the, the Appalachia gloves cause you yes. only have my size in stock. So everything else out of stock, but they actually, <laughs> the colors do actually match my bike, you know, oh, when heck you're, yeah. and when you're snobby, that's kind of an important thing. Like most of yours are a little too colorful to match like yep. my everything else I have. I think it would be yep. a little weird to have like Hawaiian print gloves with like s very basic colors on everything. Never. But those, those look like, you know, those look, uh, See, that's the so beautiful this, thing about the gloves though, is like yeah. one, the American glove goes with everything because it's America. Uh, and then anything colorful that we have, it's like, okay, well, if, if somebody does a blue kit, these three gloves will go with it. If someone does a olive kit, these three gloves will go with it. So like every year when we just do designs, we like kind of dictate that around how many color waves can we get into one glove? So they match everything. But we do have subtle ones for you people. For our new listeners just turning in, this is uh, welcome to online shopping with Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, um, I'm just looking. I'm just looking for things that bring me joy. So yeah. yes, there you go. <laughs> All right. Hey, Jamie, I got a question for you. So you said that you like you didn't get investors or anything like that, so that you could make your own decisions about like you know nobody's going to tell you you can't make this color or this pattern or this design. But that also means like you can make mistakes along the way, and this, you have to own it, right? It's your mistake. So. Have you have you had any designs that you thought were going to be awesome and they, they maybe didn't turn out yes. quite the way you hoped? Yes. We have these gloves. Oh, and they were just a blue plaid. That's it. They were just blue plaid, um, as basic as you can get. Like, everyone loves plaid. Like, lumberjacks in season, you know? Like, they were awful. And somehow, some way, they got to Canada, and the Canadians loved them. And like, they would email us like, hey, do you have these? Are, are you going to get these back in stock? We're like, absolutely not, because it took <laughs> us forever to sell them. But thank you. Glad you got them. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Cody, kind of like the running joke in the office is Cody either orders um, like way too, like not enough, or he orders thousands of the wrong thing. And so when we first did our Hawaiians, Cody ordered like a thousand American Hawaiians and they sat on our shelf for years, years. And I, we, we could like the last day we sold our last one, we were like through a party because it was so exciting to get these off of our shelf because they had just been there forever. Um, so yes, yes, we make mistakes. Have you had any surprises where you, you thought, oh, this is, this is kind of basic, but it really took off. It was like, you know, a huge success, kind of the other end. Yeah, the blackout bolts. Um, so our, when we started the company, our, our mindset was we'll, we'll never bring back a glove. Like once it sells out, it's done. We're moving on. Um, we kept the American in stock because it, it like that. That's why we, we became a company essentially. Is like that glove just like sh people started to notice because that was not something you could ever buy. Um, but the blackout bolts, 
kind of did that same thing. It's like it was a black neutral glove that everyone felt comfortable buying if they weren't comfortable with color. And it just kind of kept going. You know, everyone still loves it. It still is one of our best sellers. Like, it's crazy that this glove has, like, you know, had this many years of traction. But, and it keeps going because it's neutral. You know, people want neutral, but they want a little flare. So that's where the, like, the lightning bolt comes in. Does it make you ride faster? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like very Harry Potter. I think there's a little magic there. <laughs> you know, and that's the whole thing about riding. You don't have to ride fast to have fun. But it's more fun when you do. It, it's, <laughs> that's why I like to go Until downhill. Until you hit that tree. Until <laughs> you hit the tree. Yeah. Yes. I don't hit trees, Jeff. So. Uh, Car- cars so Jamie, every I know recently while, not <laughs> nice. um, recently you became a mom right and is this first or you tell and us only. how's, how's <laughs> manage okay <laughs> how is that so now you have business mom all the things it's it is quite the learning experience um sadly you know you learn by trial and fire or uh whatever <laughs> it is but um it's just it's been a lot, you know, I, I work really well at, at the office and I don't work well at home. That's why like when you're, we're trying to figure out the times for today, I'm like, what time is it? Cause I have to come, I, I have to leave my house and go to the office because I cannot do this at the, at the house. Um, I just don't work well there. So being a mom and like managing him and work and things so, like Cody and I will both bring him to work at times. And I'm like, okay, I have to do these five things. And then, so you watch him while I do those five things. And then I'll watch him while you do those five things. So it's like, we just kind of keep tag teaming. And then Cody will go in the office in the morning. I'll go in the office in the afternoon. Um, so yeah, we're just trying to, and then, you know, I've, <laughs> I walked out of the conference room before and one of our employees is holding him. And I'm like, you don't have to hold him. But he's like, well, he was crying. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not, you know, you're, you're an accountant and you're doing your job. You don't have to babysit my baby, but... It's yeah. definitely a team effort. <laughs> yeah. Je- Jeff was crying right before this interview. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, to cuddle him and yeah, rock him. Exactly. To, yeah. 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 Just thinking about that last crash I had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Traumatic. <laughs> well, Jeff, do you have gloves yet? Uh, yeah, you know, I actually can use a pair of gloves, too. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little <laughs> shopping. Not right now, but mm-hmm. a little later. And um, uh, I, I have a, a, uh, my first bikepacking race coming Ooh. up. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in October, October 8th, uh, The Big Lonely, uh, oh, another guest exciting. that we've had on the podcast, Jesse Blau, um, or is the organizer, and it's a 350-mile-ish um, bike, self-supported bikepacking race. And so I'm not actually racing. So just to be clear, I don't That's race okay. uh, bikes or anything, really. It's um, but I'm, you know, my goal, it'll be successful if I finish without breaking anything on my body or my bike. That's a success in my book. So, and really, if you make it out without breaking anything on your bike, that's most important because you probably can't get that part for a while. Yeah, if you break yeah. It. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that bike. So one of the things we, we joke about a lot is the fact that a lot of us have, you know, a passion for the outdoors and have turned that passion into a career like yourself, you know, like you kind of take that passion and that hobby and turn it into this career. And then all of a sudden you're working so hard at your career and job that you're not really actually doing the hobby. So do you and your husband, do you guys find time to still get out and ride? Ha ha ha. Now that you're a mom and like, what kind of riding are you doing these days? Tell us a little bit more about the fun in your life. Like clearly you're a successful businesswoman. So what about the fun part? <laughs> no, um, I think, well, last year I was all pregnant and 
I am not a good pregnant person, which is why I think I'm a one and done type lady. Um, cause you can't ride, you can't ride bikes, you can't do anything. They can't eat stuff. And, um, but, uh, this year I've been slowly getting back into it. We've done a couple trips to Sugar Mountain or Beach Mountain, um, in North Carolina. I've done like downhill days cause you know, we can have somebody watch the baby for like, you know, two hours. And if I got two hours, I want to do exactly what I want to do and it's go down a hill as fast as I can. So um, we've been doing a lot of downhill, things like that. I have a couple people in the office that ride on Tuesdays and I've been able to go with them once or twice. Um, but no, unfortunately it is, like you said, you know, it's, it becomes, writing's your passion and all of a sudden you don't do it anymore. Um, you know, I was averaging, you know, I was doing unaided centuries before, you know, with friends and it's like, now it's like, oh, that would be nice. Um, and that has nothing to do with having a kid. It's just you get busy riding bikes or, you know, doing your business. And then you're like, oh, I should actually probably do what I'm telling other people to do. Um, but the goal is to start riding more. I have a very nice bike to start riding too. So. Nice. Well, let's nerd out. This is an outdoor show. What do you got? Let's hear it. Oh, I got a Revel <laughs> and I love it. I got one of like the first. Um, so we know Chris from way back, Chris and Adam. Um, and before they started Rebel, and it's it's probably one of my most favorite bikes. I rode a Kona, a Rebel, and a Rocky Mountain, and I rode them in Vermont at a show, and then I rode them in West Virginia at a show, and like compared them to each other. Rebel won one out, so nice. <laughs> That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. And how did when did you first start cycling, and how did you get into it? So, I'm from, we're from Nevada. Both Cody and I are from Nevada, a tiny town called Caliente. Um, it's about a thousand population. Didn't ride a bike until we moved to Alabama, and I started road biking because I moved to the south, and I discovered butter biscuits and sweet tea, and so I was like, <laughs> you know. The gateway drug to road biking, apparently. The gateway drug, exactly. I was like. Carbs and sugar, southern cooking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you go to grad school, and plus I was in grad school, so I was eating always or nonstop or at late hours, and so Cody came and moved to, to um, Alabama, and he's like, we're going to start getting active. Let's get some road bikes. And so it, that was kind of like the thing that we did together. We bought used road bikes, and we were poor. I know I was a college student. He was supporting me. Um, so we got used bikes and started road riding, moved to Chattanooga, and I still road ride. And then I joined um, an all-women's uh, multi-sport club in Chattanooga, and they were like, come, come out bike with us. Uh, it'll be great. I'm like, you know, I really like my teeth. I don't want to wreck. I don't, I've never mountain biked before. Um, it's like, no, 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 you're fine. Just come with us. So I went and actually my first mountain bike ride was in the Pinhotes at Mulberry Gap. Yep. That's so awesome. I, so I did, I did the 20 <laughs> miles, uh, P1 and P2 and Bear Creek. And I did all that. And then, uh, I got done. I, I, I had Cody's mountain bike. So his bike, his shoes to clip in. Uh, and everything else I wore was road bike. You know, I had tight, you know, tiny shorts on and tank top and road helmet, all these things. But I got done and I said, this is exactly what I want to be doing. So I got home and I bought a bike that day. So that's kind of how that's I started awesome. mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. And for our listeners, the Mulberry Gap shout out is that we're having the last Adventures Women Escape at Mulberry Gap uh, at the end of September. So Yay! Very yeah. exciting. It's amazing. Um, Have you been there before? So I went in December to um, to scout it, and the only mountain biking I've done in the southeast was we went up, um, we rode our bikes up the road and came down p- part of the one of the Pinhotes, I think. Um, 
Yeah. And I was, and I'm a very beginner mountain biker and was not in any shape at the time. And riding the bike up the hill almost killed me because we did that the five mile we did climb? The forest roads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. so and then, and then came down, and by the time we came down, I was like, I have no legs left. It was very embarrassing, uh, but super fun riding. So it's beautiful and amazing. And oh, Mulberry Gap, like I can taste their food and how amazing it is. Like I would go there just for their food. So yeah. happy. <laughs> we, we've been talking to them about food this week. It's funny. If you need any not. support staff, you yeah. know, just, just yeah. holler, you know. I'll send Joan, there. Jeff. Just send Joan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We'd love to have Joan come help us. <laughs> am, I, am I remembering this right? Isn't, wasn't, isn't Randy Wharton also in Chattanooga? Or he's somewhere in Tennessee, yep. right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we inter- we had him yeah. on the podcast so a while back. It's, it sounds like there's this really cool outdoor community there, and you know, it's super crazy, but yes, yeah, <laughs> there is. And these connections are all through a friend of mine, Jill Douglas, who lives in Chattanooga. She's going to yes. be my event manager for the oh, Escape, cool. and so that and so she's been. Once we started the podcast, she's like, "Oh, there's all these amazing outdoor people in Chattanooga that you need to talk to." So um, yeah, she's a little connector. That's connector amazing. peoples. Yeah. I'm like Chattanooga sounds familiar for some reason. It took me took me all this time to remember. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. That's where where Randy was from and, and he yeah. was talking yeah. it up quite well. Hey, Jamie. So, um you you have your website and do you do like do you primarily sell through online sales or do you do like stuff, you know, independent bike shops or, you know, other other big re- big retailers at all or do you have plans yeah. for that or is it just all direct to consumer stuff oh no um so our direct consumer stuff has always been like our where we've predominantly been you know um which has been exciting and awesome and we've grown and we've grown enough that we've caught the attention of qbp and so we we are with them now this year and we're with rei we started that a year and a half ago mm. So we got picked up by REI um, and then Shields for some people, it's like Midwestern and out West. I don't know. Some people don't know about the Shields, but um, we got picked up with them, you know, about three years ago, three or four years ago. Um, and so, and then just independent bike shops for sure. We have a, one of our operations guy, Sam, he used to work at a bike shop. So he kind of knows how to talk to bike shops. So he's our bike shop guy. Um, so, you know, it's best for us to sell directly to bike shops just because they get more options with us. Um, there's a lot of benefit to them. You know, we'll switch out gloves if they're not selling. We try to be really accommodating to them because it's hard to run a business and it's very hard to run a brick and mortar. Um, and so that's kind of our goal is to make sure that they have a good experience with us. And it's not just, you know, putting everything in a cart like Amazon and then buying it and hoping it sells. Um, and then we have a storefront here in Chattanooga. Oh, you do? Cool. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, first of all, it's amazing. Congratulations on the success of it and everything. But so, but why don't you, like, obviously everyone makes mistakes. There's baptism by fire and whatever. What advice would you have? Like, what, what should people do? What shouldn't people do? Like, if they wanted to start an outdoor brand or a brand in the outdoor, the cycling space. I think the biggest thing is, is why are you making it? That's like one of the things that, you know, Cody and I ask each other if we want to make something. It's why are we doing this? Are we doing it because it's not on the market? Are we doing it because we need it and we can't find it? Um, or do you just want to be different? Um, I think sometimes people get lost on, you know, I need a thousand pockets and I need this type of zipper and I need this type of Velcro and I need like all those things start adding up on costs. And so you're, you're coming into something that costs $40 just to make. And so then you're having to sell it for a really high price. And then, you know, people might not want to buy something at really high price because if they're spending that kind of money, they're like, well, I'm going to go with somebody trusted. I'm going to go with Patagonia. I'm going to go with, you know, Mountain Hardware. I'm going to go somewhere that I know that 
they've got the R&D behind this. Um, and not to say that the small company doesn't, it, they probably do, but um, I think making something simple at first to get people to know that you're a good company and then kind of expanding past that and then also just live, like running your company within your means. You know, we didn't spend a dime that we didn't have to, you know, we, were, we made koozies, these little paper bag, brown bag koozies that you guys can see on the website. Cody and I used to stamp those because we couldn't afford to get them printed, you know, but we knew we wanted them um, and that now eventually we, we can afford to get them printed, luckily. So, um, but it's just finding things that you can do yourself um, for as long as possible. Like we didn't go on shop. We just switched to um, Shopify two years ago. <clears throat> and before that, we were on Squarespace as long as we possibly could because it was cheap. So we cut all of our expenses as low as possible until we we outgrew it. And we're like, okay, well, we've literally outgrown this. We have to pay more money at this point. And as we should, because we're making more money. Um, so I, that would be my biggest advice is, you know, you don't need the fanciest sign. You don't need the fanciest, you know, wrapping. Um, you know, all, people get lost in the weeds of like what they think their company needs. You know, that you don't need a branded box. You don't need branded bags. You don't need, there's so many things you don't need to get your good, product on into people's hands so so jamie on the website i know people can go and look at it but you have a program called gloves that give do you want to tell us a little bit more about that program yeah we started that this year and i think our biggest thing is um we just thought we you know we've, we're growing as a company we have a platform to be able to share things and you know we want to be able to provide a platform for positive things though. You know, it, it can get really lost um, on companies when all you hear is, you know, their point of view. And so we, we try to make sure that our gloves that give is something that everyone can relate to or can empathize with, or, you know, so it's these, the ones that we have up there right now, um, which we're really excited about. Our, our first ones were these Hopi ones and they were designed by a guy that absolutely just loved our company. He's like, hey, I have an idea for a glove. Um, what do you guys think if I did this? And we're like, well, how about if we do this, we give a portion of it back to wherever you think it should go. And he was ecstatic. And so like, that's kind of what we, that glove kind of gave us a foundation and uh, what we wanted to focus on um, to, to reach out to, you know, Things that aren't just cycling. I think that's other, another important thing that we didn't want people just to be like, oh, it's going back to the trails. Yeah, trails are great, but they get a lot of funding, you know, in a lot of different ways. And so we wanted to make sure we gave gloves that <clears throat> either went back to education in some way, um, back to, you know, maybe with young young girls cycling, um, the Cycle Effect glove, um, the Montucky Cold Snacks, like they, they give a portion of their money to, um, charities and things like that. And so we actually, they, we have the money from these go to she jumps because that's who they wanted us to give the money to. So it's just trying to find other avenues besides either cycling sometimes or trails like trails. We'll, we'll always say no to no offense to anyone trying to get money for trails, but <laughs> you have plenty of options out there. Um, so it's just, we, we're trying to be very selective because we don't want people to just get washed out of, you know, constantly being told what to, buy for the reasons to buy it. So it's like, if you like this glove, cool, money of this is gonna go back to this. So it has to be a good design as well. Cause like we want people just to want the glove 
and bonus points that you get to donate back to the you know cause. What do you see is like the future of Hand Up? You guys are rocking and rolling and expanding. into notice that there's golf. We haven't even talked about the fact that the weather has <laughs> snow and golf as categories. Yeah. We haven't even gone there. We just talked about the bike stuff. But what's you know, uh yeah? I mean, hopes and dreams. Um, I think for for one, I think we're at a point now, and I I'm at a point that I would like to see more of a women's specific actual line. And so we have some things in the works for that. And they've been in the works for the past three years, but we've also been collaborating with other people that we didn't want to step on their toes. And so we're just kind of like, you know what? We don't have to do this because we don't have to. Like gloves are our thing. Um, But now it's time for us to kind of branch out and, you know, do our own thing with that. And then um, just build a golf and snow. And I think the golf is Cody's kind of pet project. He kind of got into golf. And so he's like, well, why are we not putting our stuff on golf? Like, it's good designs. Um, and that kind of same thing with snow is, you know, people were emailing us with snow, snow and we're like, hey, we're, we actually wear your, you know, cold weather gloves in spring skiing because they're perfect weight for spring skiing. We're like, oh, well, why don't we just make you a glove for that? And so that's what um, the front side glove came from is people wanted, that, wanted a glove to ski in during those warmer days that were tacky. And so, like, the whole palm's tacky. And... After that, we're like, well, these sold pretty well. We might as well keep going. So we went and kept going. So now most like brands like you like partner up with like some local microbrewery or some like, you know, small batch like bougie beer. You now how you guys have partnered up with Pabst Blue Ribbon. So how did this whole PBR thing come to be and and, and uh, <laughs> what made well, you decide to do that? So Cody... <laughs> Cody likes to design things and then send them to people and be like, hey, we can make this glove for you. And so he did that with um, Oscar Blues initially. And so he made Dale's Pale Ale gloves, sent them to him. And so they were actually our first brewery that we ever uh, designed for. And a lot of people don't realize that because we made them under their bicycle name, which is Reeb. And so, um, and then we started making their Dale's Pale Ale later on. But um, essentially, the PBR thing, you know, licensing, we have... We're really good friends with um, the state bicycle people. Have you guys, do you guys know about their bikes? Yeah, so we're, we're good friends with Mitty and all them. Um, and so uh, they were talking about some of the licensing those, deals that For those had. of us who don't know. Oh. Yeah, for those of us who don't, for, for those of us and for the listeners. Yeah, they make, um, they're just like a, a boutique brand um, for bicycle. They build bicycles. Um, and they're a really cool company um, in Arizona. And so... Um, so we were talking to them about some of the licensing deals that they've had and we're like, well, why don't we ever do this? Cause it's not something we've ever thought about doing. Um, and so we, our first test was with PBR. And so that's essentially, it's not as ex- it's exciting, but Montucky is really cool. Cause like they, they're a company that really, um, interacts well with their consumers. And so, uh, that one's been a fun one to do and give back to. And then, like I said, Dale's is always an exciting one. Trying to think of some of the other ones we've done in the past. Oh, we did Terrapin. Did Terrapin gloves for a while. Um, trying to think what else. It's just it's just random. We do a lot of collaborations, and it's. I think that's the other exciting thing is like with our company, it's constantly changing, which can be kind of annoying to REI and Shields and things like that. They're like, "Hey, what gloves are you making?" We're like, "We have no idea because we make we redo the designs every year." So we'll get back to you though. Um, so yeah, all of our designs are done in-house by either Cody or me telling Cody what I want on a glove because I have no design skills. So I'm like, 
can you make it like this? But And then he'll make it. I'm like, can you make it different and also different colors? He's like, you know how long this is going to take? I'm like, yeah, but could you just, could you just do that? Um, <laughs> and Troy. So then we all I'll sit down. I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, trust me. Just trust me. Um, so then all of us, like all... All the all the employees will sit down every year and we'll go through the go through all the designs that we have and so we have designs that we've we've set on for three or four years just because people aren't ready for them they're a little too much and so we wait until the market's just right and I know you have a beer cozy as well so that's that's uh... those pa- those paper bag ones those are they're fun like I said Cody and I used to hand stamp those suckers and then one of the exciting things that um, Troy and I kind of came up with especially Troy. Um, is our red label. Uh, And so red label is essentially we make just so many numbers of things. And it's kind of to get people to pay attention to what we're doing. Um, So we only make so many. And we started off with an oven mitt. And we sold out, I think, like 30 minutes. Um, So it's just random stuff. has nothing to do with biking. Just something funny that has our design on it. So So it's kind of like Elon Musk and the flamethrower. Basically yes, the that, same principle. Or just he, wait till yeah, you okay. get a hand up point for okay, cover, yeah. yeah. We don't need those out here in the West. I don't, you know, maybe, no, maybe have like a, not. like don't ship West of the Mississippi, I think I'll, would be a I'll good do thing like water guns. There you, you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think we could, our fire extinguishers might be, you know, yeah. Poor Jeff can't breathe right now. So. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Cody used to do fire land or wildland firefighting in the summers. So, <laughs> yeah, he knows. He's a man of many talents. <laughs> he, he feels our pain out west. He does, yes. And then my sister actually works on a fire truck. Her and her husband own a water truck system, so they're out on the fires a lot. Well, Jamie, this has been an absolute pleasure, and we're so excited not only um, to see, just to meet you and, like, talk to you about your company, but just, like, hear your story. This was such a great, love the sort of starting small um, and having a successful business and weathering the COVIDs and the pandemics and all, you know, all the things. So congratulations. This has been amazing. Um, you know, Jason's already bought you out on the website apparently, but for folks who are listening that want to find out more about how to find hand up gloves, how to become a part of that community um, and how to have some fun with their cycling apparel and or golf and snow, uh, how can we find you? Yeah, on Instagram, we're handupgloves. Online, we're handupgloves.com. Um, with golf, we're handupgolf and handupsnow on Instagram. And you can reach us out, and you can reach me out, reach to me at jamie at handupgloves.com, um, and you'll definitely get an email back. So Probably wouldn't awesome. get one from Yvonne Schoenard if you emailed the <laughs> Patagonia. <laughs> no, it's kind of funny. We'll get emails from, like, people um, – you know, and it's like an automated one, but it has my email on there. And they're like, and I'll respond. They're like, oh, I wasn't expecting you to respond so quickly. And at 2 a.m., I'm like, well, you know, feeding a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else do I got to do at 2 a.m. besides answer emails? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. It's the entrepreneur life. Yeah, yeah it never stops. <laughs> Everyone has insomnia. Why not? Well, thanks so much for coming on, Jamie. This, this has been, been awesome, Jamie. Yeah, yeah Jamie. it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, y'all take care. All right, this is Jeff with the Almost There Adventure podcast, and uh, I'm here with Jesse Blau, who is a adventure cyclist. I don't know. I've, we've talked to him before, we, so you you may remember him from one of our past episodes. Uh, we spoke with him last year in October, I think, in Bend, Oregon, and uh, he's the organizer of an event called the Big Lonely, 
which is an event that I just participated in. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and my experience and uh, what it's all about. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, it was awesome to have you out at the Big Lonely. Uh, just a little bit of background on uh, the event itself. It's a 350-mile unsupported bikepacking race um, that starts and ends in Bend, Oregon. Uh, it's probably 40% single track. I think the percentages change every time I tell this, so forgive me if it's not accurate. Uh, like 40% single track, um, probably about 30% pavement, and then the rest is all like dirt, dirt roads, gravel roads, and uh, like rough cut two track that doesn't really constitute roads anymore. Um, we had an awesome turnout this year, including Jeff. We had 38 uh, participants, which is three times as many as we had last year. Um, and we ended up with about 12 finishers uh, for the event this year. Uh, so it was, a, it was a success in my book. Um, I'm not sure that all of the participants would agree, but I think everybody that came out and gave it their all had at least a good time. So let's start off with like what, what inspired you to come out and do this event, Jeff? Yeah, Jesse. Well, so one of the problems with hosting a podcast about the outdoors is that every guest that we have on... I find some inspiration from and I'm like, oh, that sounds so cool. You know, I want to do outrigger canoeing now or <laughs> I want to go back bikepacking or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. So there's limits to what I can realistically do. But I had uh, been interested in bikepacking for a while. Uh, I have a friend, Ben, who lives in Portland um, and we had attempted to do a segment of the Oregon Timber Trail a couple of years ago. Um, that ended unceremoniously with me going over the bars and cracking, having a, a, a fractured rib. And so um, my track record with bikes has not been stellar. Anyhow, um, I thought this would be fun. You were inspiring in our uh, podcast episode last year. And I thought that sounds like a something that I could do. Maybe not really race. You know, I'm not. I had no illusions of, you know, winning or you know, standing on a podium or anything like that. And I know that's not really what it's all about. Sure. But um, uh, I just thought, wow, what a cool thing, you know, just to aspire to and to go and experience and and have a lot of fun. And so um, my friend Ben and I worked as a team or partners on, on the, uh, the big lonely. So we basically were able to, you know, kind of support each other along the way and encourage each other along the way, which I, I really enjoyed. That was, I think really good for somebody like me who was not really that experienced with it. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's what kind of got me into it. And so I understand you have a, a lot of experience, um, like doing unsupported hiking and uh, backpacking adventures and, and things like that, long distance hiking. Um, can you share a little bit about how that helped prepare you for the Big Lonely and maybe some things that it didn't quite prepare you for? Yeah. So, yeah, I've done a lot of backpacking and hiking through the, you know, through the years. In fact, just recently I did a through hike of the Teton Crest Trail, like a week before the Big Lonely. It was really close. Most of the physical preparation that I did was in indoors on a Peloton bike in my house because we had a really bad air quality for the entire month of September pretty much and um, and so I would get out when I could but a lot of it was in indoors and and what I focused on was 
time in the saddle, basically. So I was doing like three hour rides and that sort of thing just to try to, you know, get my butt calloused, I guess, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, get used to that. And um, uh, as far as the the backpacking and the hiking, I think one of the things that really helped was that I have a lot of the gear. I, it's kind of lightweight generally. And so I felt like I was well prepared as far as that goes. Um, the one thing that I was not prepared for, and I think that's this is what took us out of the, the race. So we, we were on uh, track to for the slowest known time. We were going for the SKT. And um, on our fifth night, so the morning of the, the fifth night we had gone, we only had, we had less than 100 miles to go to finish this thing, but we had to climb Paulina Peak, which from, by all the reports we had snow on it and it had just again rained or snowed that night. Right. It's 8,000 feet. Yeah. It's up there. <laughs> and so we woke up on the sixth, the morning of the sixth day and uh, I just said, I don't, I'm not prepared for that kind of snow. We'd gone through a lot of cold and some flurries on, in the Ochico Mountains. And one of the things, everything was fine. Like all my clothes and everything were all dialed in. Uh, it was comfortable and warm at night in our tent, in our tents. We each had our own tent and bag. And that was great. The only thing that wasn't were, were my feet. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I didn't even think of it. You know, I was like, well, I've got, you know... Um, mountain biking, bicycling shoes, you know, I clip in and uh, that's what you wear, you know, and I've got wool, you know, merino wool socks. That's going to help me keep my feet warm. But I just wasn't prepared for how freaking cold your feet can get. And my toes, it took me probably 45 minutes once I got in my sleeping bag for my toes to like get back to like feeling normal. Man, so, so what would you do differently? Would you, would you run, um, like like boots or uh, waterproof socks or like have you have you thought about that at all? Yeah, actually, I asked some friends because I it wasn't even something on my radar. I hadn't even thought about it. I thought, well, you know, this is what you do, and um, so I, I put it out there to some of my friends, and they're like, oh, you you get these covers, you can get covers for your shoes, and that you can get half covers or full covers. You can get waterproof. You can just like weatherproof, and and I'm like, oh. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and that, I think, would have made a huge, huge, huge difference. I, I think it was just the... And if I were able to ride the whole way, that the cold, I would, would have probably been fine. I think the fact that I would have probably been doing some hike-bike through snow with... Yeah, and then get my feet wet on top of that would have just been unwise. And so I think Ben and I are, are still talking about going back and finishing that segment just so we can say we've done the entire route. And, uh, and then, I don't know, will, will, will we come back next year? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories of people using, like, plastic bags uh, in, their, in their shoes. Um, I've, I've done the aluminum foil trick, like putting aluminum foil under the, under the insoles of my shoes to protect. Because where the cleats bolt in, there's, like, ventilation through there. And that tends to be where the, where the coldest air comes in. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's worked for me in the past. Uh, and then waterproof socks, um, like merino wool waterproof socks uh, work really well. Um, so cool. I'm so stoked that you, that you uh, like, learned from it. Like, focus on the idea that all experiences are good experiences, and we're always, like, continuing to develop our skill set and stuff, and that you're not, like, scared off from bikepacking completely. 
Um, do you have any other events coming up or anything else that's like on the radar for you besides bike packing? Um, at the moment, I don't really have any big events. So those were like the, the two most recent uh, big events would be the, the Grand Teton Trail and the Big Lonely. Um, I'm still trying to kind of clarify plans for next year. I know one of the things that we're doing uh, next summer uh, to escape the smoke season is we're going back to the East Coast. So I'm going to be doing um, some of the six-pack of peaks in the New England Challenge uh, back there. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then I still have to fill in the gaps in the meantime. Um, there is an event coming up uh, in November down in Southern California that I'm looking where we climb Mount Baldy to raise money for uh, the Heroes Project, which is um, an, a nonprofit that supports veterans who've lost one or both legs in service wow. and trains with them to climb some of the tallest peaks in the world. So it kind of redefines like what is possible, you know, after having after losing a, a limb or two. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then beyond that, I, I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What do you what do you have coming up next? Man, so next thing that I have on the on the calendar is uh, June of next year. I'll be heading to Slovenia uh, to bike pack the Trans Alps route. Um, it's a uh, basically a hiking trail that you're allowed to ride a bike on um 350 miles from slovenia to switzerland um, staying in the high country the whole time uh it's a mountain bike route and really really rugged um so i just bought a mountain bike and i'm learning how to ride mountain bikes uh, <laughs> uh, in preparation for this we'll see how that goes but besides that i don't really have any other races or anything on the books um i i was hit by a car in poland a few months ago uh, during a race and so my relationship with the bike has been a little bit soured but you know redeveloping that and we'll see where everything goes from there that ride in the alps sounds really amazing I, I, that's a, that's an area that i'd love to do hiking i mean i i'm i uh i still gravitate towards hiking and backpacking more than bike packing but i, I have a, a newfound appreciation for bike packing and uh, I, I'm definitely going to keep trying to do like a few big trips each each year just to just because it's a lot of fun. It's a different way to experience the outdoors. So, well, Jesse, I really want to thank you for inspiring uh, me to get involved in the Big Lonely. That was a lot of fun, uh, even though we didn't quite finish. I felt pretty proud that like we were this the the uh, of the teams we were the second for we went the second furthest of all of them only one finished <laughs> and kudos to them man that, that was tough they were in up on Polina we were watching on the map and it's like oh there's snow up there and it sounds brutal but um it was a great experience all right so some statistics uh the race ended up lasting about five days um total uh Jeff was the Jeff and Ben were the last to scratch the almost there team uh, 38 racers came out on course uh, to the start line. That was 17 solo men, 8 solo women, 2 solo non-binary riders, 1 women's pair, and 9 men riding in teams of 2 or 3. Of the 38 who started, 12 riders finished. That's a 31% finish rate. Of those 12 finishers, 8 were women. So that's 25% of the total starters and 88% of the total finishers as women. 90% of the women who started the Big Lonely finished. 23% of the men who started the Big Lonely finished. And only one rider has completed the route on a single speed bike, uh, Melissa Bird from Lapine, also a woman. 
most common reason for scratching was overuse injury. Second most common was cold weather. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the weather was brutal this year. I think it exacerbated a lot of the overuse injuries too. Uh, when it's that cold and your knee hurts, like your knee hurts worse. Yeah. yeah, three riders had catastrophic mechanical failures that ended their race, and two riders crashed and were injured. Nobody seriously, but enough to, enough to end the race. Congratulations to everybody that came out. I'm so stoked that we had a, a successful event again this year, and I look forward to next year. Awesome, Jesse. Thanks again for joining us again, and uh, we look forward to the, your future adventures and the future of The Big Lonely. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, which is our 50th, by the way, woohoo, we talk about quests with R. Scott Jones. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.